in there, perform and deliver. Respect, last count, Corda. It will be one sentence and I am responding. What a load of spin and nonsense. He has only challenged my personality and pointed out my gender. And cop on a small bit, Taoiseach. Hello and welcome to the Polian Station podcast with Neve and Amy, where each week we try to make politics a little bit easier to grasp. Uh, this week we're going to be looking overseas, so we're making our international move across to Myanmar and the fall of democracy and the, the recent coup in Myanmar that's kind of led to this international outrage. So I suppose we're going to try and digest exactly what happened this weekend, particularly that has led to an increased outrage on the international stage. What happened? Why did that happen? Who are the key players in this? How have people reacted? And as well, the international reaction and what is going to happen next. So I suppose, Amy, before we even jump into why there's this sudden fall of democracy mm. and kind of the end of the world that's possibly happening for the people of Myanmar. So it was kind of like what kind of reignited this international outrage was essentially over the weekend. The military chief, uh, Min Han Ling, he threw this really big lavish party, this dinner, which was for an annual holiday commemorating the beginning of the army's resistance against the Japanese occupation in World War II. Okay. While this was ongoing, we saw the highest death tolls since the beginning of the military occupation of Myanmar, uh, where over 100 people died in the streets. And we also saw number huge numbers of people flee to Thailand. And then also as well within the week, we saw kind of the the really tragic and horrific killing of a seven-year-old child in her home and there was a report of 20 children so I think when people found out that there had been a death of a child as young as seven years old I think it really gets you it it does really because this this is an innocent child is that there are so many innocent people living in Myanmar and they've just they're paying the cost for this huge political out uh political kind of fallout I suppose if that's even a way, that's probably... I know, it's it's hey. such a difficult situation to even say, like, is it a political fallout? Is it a military occupation? Like, what is it? Probably seems too light to call it a political yeah. fallout with the amount of kind of unrest that's going on. But I suppose as well, like, Myanmar, it's not really... I suppose people might have heard about it, obviously, mm-hmm. since the since the 1st of February when the coup happened. But I suppose for people who don't know Myanmar, it's often referred to as... Burma is located in Southeast Asia. You know, its neighboring countries are Thailand, uh, Bangladesh, China, and India. It has a population of 54 million, so it's a quite a large country. The main religion is Buddhism, and there's other ethnic groups of Rohingya Muslims. And we'll get into, you know, there's been quite a lot of stories about the ethnic cleansing of Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar specifically, so we'll get into that later. Essentially, Myanmar became an independent state not too many years ago when you think about it it gained independence from from Great Britain in 1948 and then essentially it has been under military occupation from 1962 until 2011 Mm -hmm. so that's kind of just a little bit of brief history Um, Myanmar kind of the independence was actually founded by Aung San and who is now who is the founding father of Myanmar and Burma and his daughter is Aung San Suu Kyi who people will will be familiar with yes she is the people would have referred to as like this human rights icon a number of years ago. Obviously there's been changing situations since then, but I suppose Amy kind of like what exactly happened in this coup or the French mm. saying, as I said, coup d'etat. Kind of, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why is that happened now? As you know, like I said, it, the country has been under occupation between 1962 and 2011. Mm-hmm. 
10 years on from that that's a good that's like like really I think what a lot of people are asking is like why did this happen now because Myanmar has had its independent kind of independence from uh, military rule since 2011 and a lot of people refer to from 2011 to now as Myanmar's exercise with democracy so where they're making that transition into what they want their democratic country to look like and as with a lot I think of countries that are going through like a democratic transformation figuring out what they want their country to look like what they want their representation of democracy to look like this all kicked off because of a general election So uh, there was a general election that was held and basically in the general election, Aung San Suu Kyi's uh, party, the NLDP, which is National League of Democracy, they won by like a landslide. It's kind of disputed how much, but people kind of estimate around 80% of the votes. But the military have accused the NLD of election fraud, even though they've like won by a bigger mandate than they did in 2015, which is where there was the last election. And I think it's important to note that there is actually no evidence of election fraud. There has been talk of that, you know, like some people weren't able to get to vote and there might have been maybe some voter suppression or just the facilities weren't there for people. But there has been no even hard evidence of that there's been no evidence of electoral fraud but sounds a bit familiar she sounds a bit familiar where i think we're familiar with elections being rigged or election fraud election fraud and no facts found (laughs) it is interesting it is familiar so the queue of the military basically took place as the new session of parliament was set to open and Hong Song Su Shi, she was she's actually been placed under arrest, but not for uh, the election fraud, because again, no hard evidence, but actually for she's been charged with importing walkie talkies. So oh. you're not there's kind of like a lot of like legislation in Myanmar that you're like not allowed to have kind of technology that's from too far outside, and there's a lot of like kind of legislation around that. So like these walkie talkies are illegal. So she has now been arrested for that, and it could lead up to a two year prison sentence and she like has she's under house arrest again um and i know like we'll probably be going into her history again kind of her as you said neve her kind of political journey to human rights icon to disputed human rights kind of figure now but she's back under house arrest and she has been basically charged with these illegal walkie-talkies she's been charged with violating COVID-19 restrictions during the last kind of election campaign that she wasn't sticking to the COVID-19 restrictions and she's been charged with publishing information that may cause fear or alarm and loads of other NLD officials have also been detained as well and more than 2,100 people such as like journalists, protesters, activists, government officials, trade unionists, writers, kind of people that would have you know um, a voice and Myanmar has gotten very used to kind of you know free speech and everything since 2011 and they had like a whole new constitution written and everything like that so they've obviously been exercising this but there has been a, a, a clamp down on this even that figure that I said there um according to like advocacy groups like the assistant association for political prisoners they have like they're putting those figures higher so it's basically the government is coming in on a clapdown on Mm -hmm. kind of democracy and a lot of people speculate that this is happening now because it again they the new constitution that they wrote in 2011 there was like kind of like really specific mandates put in there for like the military that they would make sure that they had a certain amount of control so even like 20 25% 25% of the parliamentary seats are meant to be secure or secured for like the military 
crucial cabinet positions are like referred to them and like all stuff like that so and they've constantly kind of blocked attempts by the, the nld to kind of amend the constitution limit um military power and isn't there bits in the constitution that almost prevents Aintan Sushi becoming the president of myanmar Absolutely. like there's a lot of things that even though it may appear democratic there's a lot of things as you said amy in that new constitution the yeah. fact that the military can still must occupy 25% and that, that they're able to secure these high profile seats that should go to the elected government. So kind of what are the things that prevents her specifically from kind of taking over as president? Because am I, am I right in saying she's still, even in the, when she won the election in 2011, she wasn't president of Correct. Myanmar. She was like a leader of the NLD, but that does not give her like, as in we would think here, like, oh, the if you're the leader of, you know, like the winning party, you're like, the Taoiseach or the Prime Minister. No, it doesn't work like that exactly because of the yeah, the Constitution, everything that they have. So she's like, basically has the same powers as any other kind of sitting parliamentary official. It's more like her weight, her diplomatic weight that she has from, you know, being a former Nobel Peace Prize and kind of like the following that she has gained in Myanmar. And as well, like this kind of push that her party has on of trying to, you know, get rid, limit the military power unsuccessfully because they occupy 25% seats in high profile positions. So like, again, even like while she is trying to, and her party um, are trying to capitalize on, you know, kind of like the, 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 kind of democracy that they've made and you know like trying to make bigger inroads into like you know what people would con- consider traditional democracy where lots of free speech there's no kind of mandates you'd follow in par- in parliament they're just being blocked it's kind of people are like i think that the military just got a bit like now they've won this election by a lot more than they did in 2015 they're like they're getting too powerful we are going to lose our power we need to clamp down on this and that's essentially what led to this. Yeah. So that's what led to they came in and had this like just took power from the day that like parliament was going to sit, which is obviously very, it's a message, you know, like it is, it's a message and it's like, we can take your parliament from you and we're going to. And then that's led to, as you can imagine, huge riots on the streets across um, Myanmar all kind of like everywhere to it of all different kind of like you know like I said they're like obviously you've like the students the trade unionists the academics like everybody laborers farmers everybody has come out um because people have gotten used to the freedoms that they came with they're not perfect democracy but like the internet has been all real dodgy since this came there's like people aren't able to talk and people are like no this is not oh, right wow. that's just, that is scary and even the fact amy that you were saying that there's over two thousand people who have been detained mm-hmm. like that's that they're releasing obviously as you said people think that you know there is more i think if some people didn't heard there was a bbc journalist who was captured and detained which and the journalist has now uh, been released but stuff like that like journalists you know who are fundamental to a functioning democracy and activists it's pretty scary that they're all being locked up it feels um, very targeted like you're saying yeah people who are fundamental to free speech spreading ideas which is like what a democracy is all about it's like yeah guys we can talk we can talk whether democracy has gone that way is debatable but that's the core ideologies of it and that they're like no we're gonna arrest you and even like even you said like a bbc kind of like journalist like they are clamping down like hard on people it is very scary but i suppose the main two people at the head of all this yeah. are Aung San Suu Kyi 
and the leader, the the senior general of the military, which is Min Han Lei, mm-hmm. and they're essentially the two key figures in in this political fiasco, fallout, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. This human, I didn't, a political human rights crisis. There's so many mm-hmm. names that yeah. can be called. But I think we kind of need to understand who Aung San Suu Kyi is in particular. She's the daughter of the founding father of Myanmar. You know, her father was the one who gained it, who led the fight for independence from, from the UK in 1948. She came from an extremely um, privileged background in the sense that obviously her father was this incredibly influential and powerful politician. And then her mother was also a diplomat. But then she eventually left Myanmar, you know, when she was a, when she was a young woman and she studied in Oxford. And that's where she met her husband and she had two children there. Um, but she did eventually decide to come back to, to Myanmar in, in the late 1980s. And this was the height of political uh, unrest, you know. Mm-hmm. This is, and essentially, she was this people. She was the people's beacon of hope, you know. With her father's legacy that he had left, this is when the NLDP they began, and then there was an election in 1990, and the NLD they won. But this is obviously again very similar to what's just happened in the last few weeks. She was put, you know, she was put under house arrest, and the mm-hmm. military they continued to continue to control. But obviously, it's different in the sense that. This, this was the continuation of military control where as in like a month ago it was the you know this kind of the stopping of the limited control she had so I suppose it was during this time that everyone hailed her as this you know humanitarian yeah democratic hero I, I, I think she but she was her husband was sick and dying and she was told that you know she could travel abroad to England where you know they'd met and she'd seen and she could see him and stay with him but she would not be allowed back into Myanmar and she refused to go so she stayed under house arrest yeah exactly it's the fact that she gave up to say goodbye to her dying husband Mm -hmm. and she was just people thought she was this this ultimate hero you know Mm -hmm. she'd push she'd put Myanmar first before anything else and then essentially this is what led to this and her kind of continued efforts as limited as they could be under house arrest you know she was under house arrest up until 2011 she was given the Nobel Prize Prize for all her work that she's done for Myanmar and you know international world leaders they could not praise her enough she was you know she was the savior for uh for Myanmar and a lot she had a huge public support so that's why and Obama he was like her his first official overseas visit when he was his first, first term as president was to Myanmar to see her which was hugely significant like especially you know um, for the leader of the free world or everyone knows that America just has such influential and such power behind them and the fact that Obama, president, former President Obama went over to see her, first US president to do so it was huge and he was nothing short of praise for Aung San Suu Kyi and couldn't, you know, thought she was the best thing since sliced bread and for, you know, the Burmese people. So in 2011 there was like, they decided, oh let's have a, um, a civilian government but it wasn't until 2015 that we had the first general election and the NLD won, landslide election, as you said. But it was the same. It's kind of, if you look at the figures that even back in 1990, all the figures from each election and the seats that the NLD win, they all kind of, it's the same support because people want, like you said, they want a free democracy, even as democracy is uh, as unperfect as it is. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to, to have those rights and those freedoms. Mm-hmm. And there were so, so many like, you know, kind of like protests and like everything. There was like one in 2007, people might remember. It was called like the Saffron Revolution because the Buddhist monks came out. There was like so many of these, like the people, there was such an appetite for democracy, for free speech. And Aung San Suu Kyi was seen as the face of this that could deliver it. Completely, completely. She was, 
like you said, she was the face of it. And there have been like, like this is not the first pro- series of protests. It just seems to be that we've seen in, in Myanmar. It just seems to be one of the most kind of bloodiest and most violent, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so essentially 2015, the NLD w- wins. But funny enough, because of the constitution that was written by the military, in it, they said that if you if you have children who are not fa- who are foreign born, in other words, because she you know she met her husband and got married in in the UK, her children are half English, as you know half Burmese. So th- she couldn't be the president, so she became the state councillor. So she didn't exactly have complete power, but she was still there. But like you said, Amy, I suppose people thought now, oh, she's in charge. This is yeah. great. We'll have our democracy. That wasn't the case. A lot of the things that she wanted was, you know, in terms of a peaceful protest and, you know, opening up the economy and so on. And I suppose this is why. And actually, I, this is probably important to mention. I suppose the reason why the military decided in 2011 to start the process for a civil government was because the economic sanctions against Myanmar were crippling their economy. Yeah. They could not survive. 50% of the population was below the poverty line. Like, when you think of that, that's huge numbers. So I think in order to ease economic sanctions, with the US in particular were very strict on imposing those economic sanctions. So obviously, with allowing some sort of a semi-democracy... They could release they were them. Ele- Exactly. When the NLD won in 2015, we saw that with, with the economic sanctions lifted, that the poverty line, where people who were living below the poverty line dropped to 25%. That was huge because there was now a, a booming economy of some sorts. So here we're basically, we're looking at Ancestry C. She's, everyone's loving her. She's the yeah, queen. She's got it. She's got it. But. Kind of all goes downhill for her in 2017. And essentially, this was when in, 2000, in August of 2017, Grant, there, there's so Rohingya Muslim uh, militants attacked military forces. And this, in conjunction with it, the military, was like, no, we're not having this. Mm-hmm. And they essentially launched this horrific crackdown on Rohingya mu- Muslims. And they were already a minority within the country. Yeah. And there was there was a lot of like, when you go all the way back to um, when Myanmar got their independence from the British at that time in 1948, and they gave it to the Burmese. Um, the Burmese were a majority ethnic group in within, you know, Myanmar called Burma at the time. There has been such a history of kind of like ethnic minority kind of like, I guess, racism towards them and this was kind of showing with the kind of Rohingya the crackdown on the Rohingya Muslim minority group exactly and it's just kind of it came to a head in 2017 in the most ugly and violent way possible you know in the month in the month that followed there was at least 9,000 dead 700 of those were under the age of five and you know this wasn't just mass murders we were looking at we were looking at burning down villages gang raping and it was deemed to be one of the world's fastest growing humanitarian crises and you think okay we have this woman who has been awarded a nobel peace prize president obama has you know hailed her as the pillar of democracy for myanmar surely she'll come in and help these rohingya muslims who many of who had to flee the country because they could not they were not protected it was you know many referred to it as a mass genocide because the the atrocities were just horrific you could not imagine we can't we can't we can't imagine no and it was it's like the systematic killing of a specific group it was targeted it was towards them it fulfills the criteria of genocide and initially she was you know she dismissed it and said that you know militant terrorist organizations said this was misinformation so you're kind of thinking okay why are you 
you know, dismissing this so quickly. So, so then she was called to The Hague in the Netherlands. So The Hague is often referred to as the International City of Peace and Justice, also where the Dutch royal family lives. Not go. sure if that has any re- relevance, but <laughs> just a little, little fun fact. And basically she came there to defend the military's actions against these allegations of genocide. Even though they're allegations, there's it's kind of very much known fact that this has occurred and horrific number of Rohingya Muslims have been murdered mm-hmm. or forced to leave their country as a result. So she may, while she was at the Hague, she maintained that the atroc- atrocities were exaggerated and she didn't even use the word Rohingya. So mm-hmm. kind of this kind of refuses to acknowledge them even as a distinct ethnic group, which is just like, it was just, a, a, she just came off like she did. It so just... dismissive of a tragedy. And I think a lot of people kind of thought that she was such a champion of human rights. Of course, she would be, you know, empathetic and champion this group within her own country. But no, she didn't. Her reputation was destroyed internationally um, because of how she spoke, because of how she defended these vicious crimes in The Hague. But the flip side is domestically, her popularity rose. The people of Burma or Myanmar, they just thought, here's the mother, you know, the mother of our Mm -hmm. country. She's going across to defend us, to defend our country. So you kind of think like, was she doing this because she genuinely believes this? Or was she just doing this knowing that we she would have a, you know an election coming down the line within the next year? Or does she does she just not have any empathy for Rohingya Muslims? They're kind of the three main like reasons as to why you'd look at mm-hmm. why she would do that, because it really did harm her internationally. And I just think people have while obviously the, the coup was the coup that's currently happening is horrific and it's it, there's an unnecessary bloodshed. A lot of people will also say the same for the Absolutely. innocent Rohingya Muslims who were just, they they had done nothing wrong and then they were. So this is where we are with her going into, you know, February 1st of 2021. Now, obviously people do still, uh, are still on the side of Aung San Suu Kyi in regards to democracy, not in regards to the treatment of the Rohingya Muslims because just quite frankly, um, there's no defending that. Go- no, the United every every leading country, uh, including the UN, have come out and condemned these acts. So, so I suppose as well, the other main person involved in this is Min Hang Lee. So Min Hang Lee is essentially he's the leader of the military mm-hmm. in in Myanmar, which is often referred to as Tat Madao. He's been a part of the military for a long, long yes. time. He's sixty four years old, and often people think, oh, maybe he was trying. He this is his time to retire, and then but when he retires he will then run for president. So it's kind of like, why is this happening now? There's kind of, he sees his life beyond the military and, you know, mm-hmm. president of Myanmar. And yeah, he's, he's a, he's a funny character. He he is a funny character. Like he spent his entire career, very influential in the military. He joined as cadet. He is a law student, college trained. You know, he saw overseas operations in Myanmar, which actually led to tens and thousands of ethnic minority refugees again another um targeted attack on ethnic minorities and he's had some um really terrible allegations come against him about murder uh, rape and arson against him and his troops but he's risen and risen and he's risen to the top and he became commander-in-chief in march 2011 just as the new constitution came in and in 2016 he when when Aung San Suu Kyi's um NLD came to power, he kind of adapted to her. He was kind of like, okay, yeah. I can make this work for me. I can make this work, you know, for for me. But he he seems to have turned a page. He seems to have sensed that 
like like you were saying like the people are like why is he you know holding on now and it's even um like important to like know how far his power stretches like he's mm-hmm. the head of one of the largest conglomerates in Myanmar like he is everywhere and he now is seeing Antang Sushi a threat to his kind of how he's built his power not just politically but economically through every fascist society and now he is like no do you know what no I'm going to seize power and I'm going to take control of yeah of of this and take control of I guess then like the narrative that he had was that he was going to be very civil to her and kind of to democracy and he was going to do democracy on the terms of the military but now it seems like those terms have maybe gone too far and yeah he's he's stepped into this role that he is the face of this coup he's proudly the face of it he's not trying to hide it and that he has positioned himself now as this like massive political figure that is going to fight this um this corner I guess of the political arena in Myanmar but what's kind of been the international reaction like are we going to see you know are, are people were they quick to condemn Min Hanley what's going to happen are they now supporting Aung San Suu Kyi like is there going to be more sanctions imposed like kind of what Amy are the kind of steps in order to kind of come in and save democracy it's, in the southeast it's a tricky one because um as you said Neve, there like in kind of back in 2011 the US was super influential with their um sanctions that they came out their economic sanctions the international landscape has changed a lot since 2011 and I guess like obviously you know there's loads of people countries have come out and condemned the military takeover the UN general secretary has called it a serious blow to democratic reforms you know the US UK have all come out and but really the people that kind of are going to be the most influential in this are kind of the countries within Southeast Asia that kind of interact with Myanmar not just on like geography and um, borders but like economically so Myanmar is a part of the ASEAN and um, so that is uh, people might be familiar with it but it's the Association of Southeast Asian Nations and basically what it is it's an economic union that's kind of comprised of 10 member states in Southeast Asia that talk about international like international governmental cooperation and economic terms very much what the EU was right back in the day so this kind of the, the you know the condemnation from the west doesn't really mean too much not that it doesn't mean much but it's just not going to have the influence like you said amy not back in the day like where you said Eve, like the u.s sanctions basically brought on the kind of civilian kind of government that's not going to be the case now they don't have those economic economic ties with the west anymore it's all about the 10 countries that they're with the acn in and the kind of statements from these countries have been very kind of lukewarm is a good way to kind of put them like the Thai prime minister you know like kind of very much not really wanting to comment on it even though a lot after this weekend especially a lot of refugees have actually come across into Thailand and has really wanted to put too much on it China as well and has kind of been just urging all parties to settle their differences peacefully but they did kind of like water down the UN kind of statement in the sense that like you know, they were saying like, you know, there should be a release of like Aung San Suu Kyi and stuff like that. But really, like they weren't they're not going to intervene. They are just like, lads, talk it out. We're not going to intervene. You just do you. Yeah. So it's like that's like China is 
not as well really like it doesn't like dealing with Aung San Suu Kyi's um, NLD government but like their relationships have been getting warmer under the government that has just unfortunately fallen but they have a real deep history with the military within um, Myanmar and it's kind of like will they be pulling on those ties like would it benefit China actually to go back to that kind of where they have it um, but on the same time, people are saying that actually what would happen in Myanmar like would kind of impact China economically. Like, is it within their strategic interests for like Myanmar to completely descend if there's going to be this big public blowout? We don't know. So China has a lot, a lot to gain and a lot to lose in this. Um, so it's kind of will be interesting to see how they react to it. But people are kind of saying that the main player in this that could actually kind of come around to help with some sort of resolution is actually Indonesia which people might be like oh, okay. what Indonesia yeah. why yeah but um like you know like all like all of the other countries Thailand Vietnam Cambodia they kind of have all refused to criticize the coup doing it as an internal matter but um Indonesia is it's the largest country in the ASEAN that is has a past history of taking issues of resolving kind of crises. So the Cambodian oh. conflict in the 1980s, people might be familiar with that the Cayman Rouge uh, was another awful uh, atrocity that happened there. It was another kind of similar ethnic cleansing that went on. Um, Indonesia was a real leader in that. And it also is good in the sense that it is a bit distant from Myanmar it doesn't share any borders it doesn't hold any great economic ties it doesn't have really a strategic stake in what happens there so they have a bit of wiggle room to kind of condemn or like whichever the Indonesian government decides to fall on they have wiggle room that necessarily obviously China has its own issues with regards to democracy and human rights but if you have economic interests you're going to want to do it in the favor that will obviously increase your economic standing and it's just where will china fall on that they haven't quite decided if it's going to be siding with the nld or if it's going to be siding with the military exactly they're like oh i don't know yet whereas indonesia they don't need to play that game they can actually come at it and they can be used as a mediation point as well for talking these issues out now you know like this is a lot being like talked about like the past that indonesia has whether they will step up and play that role it's still yet to be seen like there is you know talks about a possibility of holding an ACN meeting on Myanmar and discussing with all the member states maybe what um has happened again like that has not come to fruition yet and actually details of that were leaked out of like what they were be talking about um particularly what they were going to be talking about was the promise that the military have had that they're going to hold another general election within the year the relief of Vang Tang Su Shi and the other NLD politicians that was all but it was all leaked and it hasn't come you know to fruition since it was but it's going to be interesting to see and it is it's going to be these players it's going to be like China Indonesia countries surrounding Myanmar that are going to have the stake here because they are all in that economic union together it is going to affect them if Myanmar goes down um you know like into economic turmoil they will be the ones that will be able to put the sanctions on them if you know, they deem that to be necessary. If the US was to do it now, wouldn't really matter. They kind of have yeah. moved their economic ties somewhere else. So it's uh, it's to say it's a complex diplomatic game would be an understatement. There's a lot I'm of sorry. like person, like a lot, there's a lot of history that goes back here, you know, and like, yeah, it's just going to be really interesting to see 
where people are going to fall on it. Exactly. Especially, I think, as well, it's not discussed enough in the West in terms of, you know, the economic and the politics of, you know, Southeast Asia. I think that's what people are like, oh, you know, we'll just, as in the UK, you know, even Ireland has been like very critical, obviously, because we're, you know, Ireland has now gained mm-hmm. a seat on the UN Security Council, you know, all been very vocal, which of course, like every, you know, you wouldn't want any leader of your country not to condemn such horrific violence and so on. But I suppose it's kind of, it'll, it'll be down to like, as you said, Amy, the, which I suppose most people, I certainly, you know, wasn't aware that, especially Indonesia had such <laughs> influence. And yeah, I think, it'll be down to I think that region to sort it not sort itself out, but yeah, I think people are kind of, you know, I think a lot of people approach geopolitics from a very colonialistic standpoint still that, you know, like, I don't know, it's not really talked about in the news, you know, like the complex economic union that these countries have together. And, you know, it is newer than the EU. It absolutely is. And it is still, you know, going through its more junior years in terms of that. But they have it. That is what is going to make the difference. And it is obviously very important that the international community comes out and condemns, you know, like this lads can't be going on less of that now. Um, but it is going to be the engagement with their kind of neighbours that is going to really push this in one way or the other. Like, again, China's influence is going to be really crucial. I anticipate Indonesia's influence is going to be really crucial. But at least the channels are still open with these countries as well. Like, there is still, you know, like, Myanmar has not drawn away from their seat on the ASEAN um, kind of committee. They're still very much engaging with them. And, like, that's you know the main thing that like they are those communication channels are still open but i imagine they will tread um lightly enough to ensure that they stay open oh yeah and sorry it'll be interesting to see how thailand's um you know what way that they will go due to the influx yes. of immigrants that they have had just from this weekend alone do you know like military and men still very much dominate thailand um like they do you know like they that is a, a quite influential in their kind of political landscape but as well a lot of you know like immigrants coming in unexpectedly during the coronavirus obviously it's yeah. going to be very stressful not stunning on that like how will that shift in their terms of thinking about this yeah. it might force thailand to actually take a stance on it being like okay we'll support you let's help the you know the migrants who've been forced to leave or no we've had it like we don't want enough so thailand i think will be forced to get involved in the situation i think the other bordering countries could because if you have people fleeing um as you, you know if you have people fleeing due to this you know political unrest and the violent protests and the, the shutdown of the country they might have to get involved and i do but when you unfortunately i think it might be um it will come down to the economics of it and if people are losing out on money big time then they might into uh or it's gonna in, impact them the way it might impact Thailand if they have continued increase of migrants and they're like oh wait this is gonna impact us let's let's give our two cents on this and where because it's it's a lot easier for for countries in the West to condemn when it's not going to like you said Amy the U S have the kind of the financial the economic ties have been cut severely as they were in two thousand eleven so well I suppose maybe we might see if maybe more sanctions uh, you know sanctions are placed on uh, Myanmar it will be, it will be interesting to see I think the big turn and put the big turning point of this will be when China fully reveals its hand in what way it's going to go with this I think that's going to oh, have yeah. a huge influence on what is going to actually happen there but until then yeah it's just going to be seeing you know what happens I think like the most likely thing 
is that they will let this play out for a year, which is awful. And it's has good's going to have, you know, terrible human consequences. But as you said, mm-hmm. Neve, it, when it comes to geopolitics, it's really just geoeconomics. Like that is what it is about. Really, yeah. And I think that they will see, does the military actually allow for a free and fair election at the year mark when they've said and then I think they'll probably go from there and what they decide to do. I think that's probably is the most likely outcome, especially during um, COVID-19, where countries have a, a little bit of like, I've got enough on my plate. I don't really want to be dealing that's, with this. That's the thing. Like, you're fix- forgetting this is happening. All, like, I've forgotten this. Like, you wouldn't even think like COVID's going on because this is obviously such huge. Like, people are going to be, di- unfortunately, people are going to die because of, you know, the spread of this rampant horrific disease and that now you have a military coup on top of it like it's just could could you imagine like, if that was happening here it is terrifying to think about and i think there's a lot of underreporting in this in the media because people are a bit like oh we have our own problems i can't really engage in that like i can't just i just can't there's too much going on i just need to take a step back but if you were actually to stop and think about how terrifying that would be with exactly you said covid-19 how scary that is in general restrictions that are in and then have a military coup on top of it, as yeah, as well as the trauma of the last ones that are, like the generational trauma that's there. Terrifying. Exactly, like this country has has seen an unfortunate amount of violence and chaos, and this it's going to take like it's it's just horrific that it has to undergo this type of, I like you said, Amy, trauma that's just going to last generations to come. Mm-hmm. No, it is. It's going to be, yeah. It's going to be. It's going to be interesting to see and sad it's actually really sad to see like as well like Neve going back to the news came out this weekend the amount of people that died in one weekend the amount of children not to mention you know the continuing um persecution of the Rohingya Muslims it's a lot of lost lives it's really sad and yeah it's just one of those things that like hopefully maybe this makes this makes us more aware anyway as as Irish people anyway, uh, to be more aware of geopolitics, not just in the West, but in the Southeast Asia in particular, and to kind of venture, venture broaden our, our horizons and see what goes out. Yeah, but that's all for this week's uh, episode of The Polling Station. Uh, let us know, you know, what you think is going to happen in Myanmar, what you think about the landscape there and um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it especially as if it's new to you if you hadn't heard about it before uh, please let us know you can get us at twitter and instagram at, at the polling pod and give us a follow while you're there you know get join join us there and subscribe to us on spotify and apple podcasts and yeah until next week